So Matthew 22, 15. Let's just go ahead and read that. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. So the story is um, really a continuation of what we've been reading about. The, the uh, religious leaders are essentially trying to attack Jesus, trying to you know, undermine who he is, you know, questioning who he is and what he, why he's doing what he's doing and so on. And so the religious leaders got together. They sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to trap Jesus in his words. It's interesting because the Herodians and the Pharisees were essentially enemies. They were religious enemies. They thought very differently. Uh, they argued with each other all the time. They were bitter foes. But what brought them together was their hatred for Jesus. And they came flattering him. Um, and that's, we see that, they're flattering him with praise. That's what we see in the first couple of verses there. Don't you hate it when people come to you and they flatter you? And you know full well they're not sincere. They, they're, they're buttering you up. And they're trying to, you know, usually get something from you or whatever. Salesmen are very good at this, by the way. They, they try to, you know, say all kinds of lovely things about you. And you think, you don't even know me, you know. Um, I hate it when people do that. Their words drip with praise here in this account. They were insincere in their words, because at the very beginning we read, they actually went out with the purpose of entangling him in his words. The Lord Jesus saw through their hypocrisy. He perceived their wickedness. They came with a loaded question, believing that no matter how Jesus answered the question, he was going to offend someone. And, uh, and it would outrage one side or the other. In fact, the, the um, Pharisees... And the Herodians both had opposite opinions about this question about paying taxes to Caesar. And so no matter how he answered, he was going to offend one group or the other, and probably the people that were there to hear the question. The question was this, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, I think this sermon would actually best fit at the beginning of April. Um, as you begin to start thinking in terms of your uh, paying your income taxes or at least collecting your paperwork to work on your taxes. Uh, the deadline, April 15th in most years. But the fact is that if you work for an employer, you are paying taxes 
every time they write a paycheck to you, they are withholding from you taxes that they then submit to the government. So it's happening not just on April 15th, it's happening all year long if you're employed. April 15th is just judgment day. <laughs> so it's a question that nags all of us, I think, in the back of our minds. I, think, I don't think there's anybody who actually enjoys paying taxes. Um, so the question is, it's a good question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus knew their question was a setup. And so he asked to see the coin used to pay taxes to the Roman government. And it's interesting that he did that because by doing this, he is um, demonstrating to them that every time they use the currency of that day, they were acknowledging that they were subject to the Roman government. This, is not, this was never God's intention for Israel. Israel was supposed to be the nation that led the world to know God. And, uh, but this currency that they used on a daily basis showed that they were in bondage to Rome because of their sin against God. They had not given God his rightful place in their lives. They had not given God his rightful place in their uh, nation. And now they were subject to the Roman government, and the Roman government demanded taxes from them. Jesus knew that if he said it was wrong to pay taxes to Caesar, he would be accused of being a rebel, stirring up the masses against the Roman government. And the Herodians would also rise up against them because, him because they thought it was okay to pay taxes to uh, the Roman government. But if he agreed with paying the tax, then he would appear that he was supporting Roman rule, Roman bondage um, of the nation. And it, he would also stir up the Pharisees against him. So the trap was set. But it backfired on them when he asked them for a denarius. And the denarius is the special Roman coin. Luke, if you want to go ahead and put that uh, picture up of the denarius. Um, it's a special Roman coin that was used specifically for paying taxes. The face side of the coin is a picture of Tiberius Caesar Augustus. So, and it says, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. On the back side, you have another picture and just two words, highest priest. And so they were using this currency, which would, would, if they were religious in any way or loved God in any way, it would just chafe at them to have to pay this, but he held it up um, for them. The Jews lived under Roman domination. They were subject to a Gentile authority. And as I said earlier, it was never God's intention for them to be in this situation. God had planned to make Israel the head of all nations. They, they were intended by God to be the ones who held the word of God, promoted the word of God, taught the word of God to other nations. But they failed. And because Israel bore no fruit for God, and, and Jesus already demonstrated that earlier in, this, in uh, Matthew, 
by cursing the fig tree and so on, he brought her down to the lowest position among nations. Israel suffered the judgment of God because of her waywardness. God placed a Gentile government over her. Rome had power over her. And the Jews despised the Romans and they loathed paying taxes to the Roman government. And every time they used the Roman coins, they admitted their subjection to the Roman government and their subjection to Gentiles. Jesus took the coin and he held it up so they could see with the face side showing. And uh, he asked them to describe what they saw. Whose image and inscription is this? Well, obviously it bore the image of Caesar stamped onto the coin. And so they replied, Caesar. And his classic answer was so simple. Render or give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. If Caesar's image is on that coin, that coin must belong to Caesar. Give him back his coin. Give back to Caesar that which belongs to him. That's the easy part of his statement here. Okay? In other words, pay your taxes. It belongs to him anyway. The second part is render to God or give to God the things that are God's. What does the second part mean? Well, I think there are two possible thoughts here. One is that Jesus himself is standing in front of them. He was more than a teacher. Some, some acknowledge he's a teacher. Some called him rabbi. Um, some even thought that he was on the level of a prophet. But he was more than a teacher. He was more than a rabbi. He was more than simply a prophet. The Bible says that Jesus is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person. When you saw Jesus, you saw God. He is the image, the Bible says, of the invisible God. You can't see God, he's spirit. But Jesus took upon himself human flesh. He became a person and he not just represented God, he is God. And he was standing there in their midst. In him, the Bible says, dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus cannot be <coughs> simply reduced to another teacher or another prophet that came along or a religious man. Whose image does he bear? He is God manifest in the flesh. And they did not give themselves to him. And so the question for us, if that's what it means, have we given ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, um, who as our only Lord and Savior? The second thought, if you look in your Bibles at Genesis chapter 2, verse 26, we read this. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We are made in the image of God. That doesn't mean we look like God. As I said earlier, God is spirit. 
But God made us in his image, in his likeness, according to Genesis 2.26. Someone once said, if a coin stamped with Caesar's image belongs to Caesar, men made in the image of God belong to God. Let me repeat that. If a coin stamped with Caesar's image belongs to Caesar, men made in the image of God belong to God. So Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Let's just talk about that for a minute. We pay taxes so frequently, we don't even think about it. It's it's just a regular routine part of everyday life. I'm just going to give you a few of the ways that you pay taxes. Could be local, could be county, state, federal. Every time you buy clothes or other goods, you pay tax. Alameda County just raised the tax uh, up to, I think it's 10 and 3 quarter percent now as of the beginning of this month. When we fill our gas tank, we pay local, state, and federal taxes. Every time you reach out and touch someone on your phone, you are paying taxes for that privilege. The Energy Commission taxes you for every therm of gas and every watt of electricity that you use in your home. You are taxed on your income. You're taxed on your uh, property. You're taxed on your cars. You're taxed for public schools, whether you send your kids to public schools or not. You are taxed for police services, essential services, vector services, mosquito abatement, and flood control. You are taxed for clean water, recreation, and parks. There are local, county, state, and federal taxes. You are taxed for working hard, and you're taxed when you go on vacation. For airlines, hotels, motels, amusement parks, we are taxed literally to death. And even when you die, you're taxed. They have a way of reaching you from beginning to end. Now, before you report to the, me to the government, I want to tell you, I'm not saying don't pay your taxes. I never said that. I'm not going to say that. Okay? I'm not complaining about taxes. The point that I'm making uh, and I, that I want to drive home today is that we do render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And so we should. But do we render to God the things that are God's? That's really the question that Jesus is asking. So what is our responsibility to God? J. Oswald Sanders said, am I as, or he asked this question, am I as careful about giving my life back to God as I am in paying my income tax? All of us are obligated to give to God the things that are his. The prophet Malachi asked the question, will a man rob God? We wouldn't think of robbing the IRS because we know the consequences are severe. You're not just going to pay the tax, you're going to pay the penalty because you didn't pay the tax. So we wouldn't think of robbing the government, and yet many people rob God every day, every single day in their lives. Jesus said, give to God the things that are God's. Well, what belongs to God? Whoever bears the image of God belongs to God. Render to God the things that are God's. God created you and he created me for this purpose, to love the Lord your God with all your heart 
with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Give God first and foremost your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. What do we owe the government at tax time? Well, I mean, if you haven't paid your taxes at all, you're in what they call a tax bracket. Um, and if you're really poor, you owe nothing. But if you're not poor, you pay anywhere 10%, 15%, 23%, 35%. Whatever tax bracket you're in, that's what you're responsible to pay. Some percentage of your income to the IRS. And then there's always the state tax too. What tax bracket are we in with the Lord? We owe him everything. We owe him 100%. Everything that we have and everything that we are belongs to him. First of all, we belong to him because he created us. We're his by creation. We belong to him simply on that basis alone. But if you know the Lord, you, he bought you with a price, his own precious blood. So you're his by creation, you're his by redemption. He redeemed us to God by his blood. We are saved by grace, of course, and we cannot do anything or give anything as a means of, in, of um, meriting um, our salvation. But Christ, as Christians, we can give back to the Lord that which belongs to him. And so what do we have that belongs to him? So I have several points. I'll, I'll go through them one at a time. First of all, we should give our bodies to the Lord. The Bible says in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There in this passage, we are taught... The, the, the Lord is telling us through his word that our bodies belong to him. And so we should give our bodies to him. You used to use your body. I used to use my body for sin. I gave my body willingly for sin. Perhaps your body was given to drunkenness or carousing or immorality or to do whatever Satan wanted you to do. And you gladly gave your body to do it. Now God tells us to present that same body that has now been transformed because we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit uh, to him as a living, holy, acceptable sacrifice. In 1 Corinthians 6.18, it says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So, render to God the things that are God's. First thing, give him your body. Holy, completely. It's his. Lord, do with me as you will. For some believers, it actually meant that they literally laid down their bodies as a sacrifice uh, to the Lord. They became martyrs of the Christian church. The first martyr of the Christian church, of course, was Stephen, who literally gave his body to the Lord 
as the Jews stoned him to death in Acts chapter 7. Okay, second, give our service to the Lord. You know, it's interesting, and I, I think of this sometimes, God could have snatched every one of us off the planet the moment we trusted in Jesus Christ. He could have done that, but he didn't. He left us here. He left us here because he has a plan for your life. You belong to Jesus Christ, and it says in Ephesians 1.4, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him. So whatever the service is that we have, it includes being holy before him. That's part of that verse. Um, he has a job for you to do, though. He left you here because he has something for you to do. Paul says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we should be looking to see what God has for us to do. The New Living Translation of that same verse says this, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us so long ago. Certainly it includes pleasing him in our thoughts, our speech, and our actions. And you can be sure it includes getting the gospel out to all men. He's commanded us to do that. The Apostle Paul was one who tirelessly served the Lord. And this is what he said, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give, me, give to me on that day. And not to me only but also to all who have loved his appearing. Give to the Lord that which belongs to him. Give to the Lord your service, and you will be rewarded, just like Paul is describing here, when the Lord returns. Okay, number three, give of our time and our talents to the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 4.2, it says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. God has given us a specific amount of time and you cannot gather that time up once it's spent. But we're spending it 60 minutes every hour and you cannot get it back. So we have a specific number of days that God allotted to us before we were born. How many of those days have I given to the Lord? How many of those hours have I given to the Lord? God has given to us talents, spiritual gifts, skills, all of which should be used for the Lord. And so if he has given us these gifts, are we using these gifts for his glory? The Bible says, he who is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. If we produce a return on his investment in us, so he's invested in you already, giving you skills, talents. All of you have skills and talents that I don't have. But whatever those are, you can use them uh, for the Lord. And he, he looks for a return on his investment. And he promises 
to reward us all out of proportion to what we have done. That's one of the most amazing things in the Christian life, that he gives us time, he gives us talent to begin with. That's a gift from him. Then if we demonstrate faithfulness in using those for him, he gives us more. And then he praises us if we are faithful in the use of them. And then on top of that, he rewards us as well. How much time do we have left before the Lord takes us home or before he comes and we all rise to the sky to meet him? When my oncologist told me about a year ago, um, when he called me and he, he dropped the bombshell on me, that you he said, you have uh, terminal stage four cancer, um, it got me thinking in a way that I had never thought before. I always knew I had a short period of time of life, maybe 70 years. If I lived like my dad, I'd you know, go up to 92, maybe even further. He might, the way he's going, he'll probably, you know, Energizer Bunny, he'll probably go to be 100 or more. But um, it kind of struck me in a new way. He says, and there is no cure. That's what he told me. So I didn't ask, you know, the pregnant question, how long do I have? Because I didn't want to know. And uh, so, it, but it awakened me to the obvious reality that time or life is short, how much time do I have left, really, to finish the work that God has given me to do? I don't know. But I better be about it because the time is ticking by. If God has given me any talent or skill or spiritual gift, there is an expiration date stamped on it. At some point, I will reach my use-by date and I will expire. Give of yourself to the Lord. Next, exercise our spiritual gifts for the Lord. So I'm going to give you a test. Let's just see how many of you guys can uh, answer this. So we just talked about death. And so I'm thinking about tombstones. And if you could have one word on your tombstone that would describe you, what would it be? So don't say it out loud. I'm going to give you some names. And just shout it out when I give you the name what that one word would be on this person's tombstone. Billy Graham, evangelist, there you go. He is known as an evangelist, why? Because that's what he did with his gift. All right, very good. William McDonald, teacher, thank you. That's what I had too, so, so far we're both right. <laughs> George Mueller. Faith, that's what I had too. This is going to be a little harder because it's, uh, there would be, in my mind, there would be more than one word on this person. Dorcas. And you can have more than one word for her. Service, yeah. Service is great. So in the Bible it says good works and charitable deeds, but it all boils down to one, that is service. Very good, Kathy. The poor widow. We don't even know her name. Her name's not even on the tombstone. Sorry? Generous. generous, okay. Yeah, generous or giving, okay, sacrificial. If you could write one word on your tombstone that describes your spiritual gift, what would it be? 
It's a good question. Will we be known for exercising our spiritual gift for the Lord? In 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, it says this, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If one speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If one ministers or serves, let him do it um, as with the ability God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Do you know that when you exercise your spiritual gift, you are giving God, Jesus Christ, back the glory and dominion that he deserves? That's part of um, what happens when you exercise your spiritual gift. God has given every single Christian at least one spiritual gift. Some may have more. There's no exception to that rule. Every single believer has a spiritual gift. The Bible compares spiritual gifts to parts of the body, the hand, the arm, and so on. And uh, each part ministers to the rest of the parts of the body for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Every part of the body does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. The idea there is that you're part of the body of Christ and you have to function if the body's gonna function properly. I have a banged up heel and it's been a mess. Um, you know, it's healing obviously, but um, I realize how important that heel was to me before I fell off the roof. And um, I'm beginning to walk again and, and so on. But it's still not right. Parts of that part of my foot are not functioning the way they're supposed to. And it affects my whole body. I limp. I have trouble walking. I have trouble getting up. That's just old age. But, <laughs> but it's the same in the, in the body of Christ. If all the parts of the body are not functioning properly, it affects the whole body in some way. We have been given at least one spiritual gift. Give that gift to the Lord by exercising it for the uh, benefit of the whole body. All right, number five, give of our material possessions to the Lord. You know, we, we really do have a strange view of um, money and possessions. We often say, I own my car. I own my house. I own everything that I possess. That's actually not true. You don't. And I don't mean that it's mortgaged to the bank. It, that could be true. But you really don't own anything you have. The Bible says, the silver is mine, and the, uh, the Lord is saying this, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. For every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. The, the rancher thinks he owns the cattle, but it's not true. They belong to the Lord. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. That means everything in it is the Lord's. The world and those who dwell in it. They all belong to the Lord. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours, the Bible says. Funny thing is, when we came into this world, we had nothing. And the Bible says that. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. But between birth, when we had nothing, and death, 
where we have nothing, we accumulate a lot of stuff. And somehow, we become very possessive of this stuff. We live as if we're the king of the castle and we own all of this stuff, but we don't. Whatever we have in our possession, whatever we call our own, it belongs to God and we are merely managers, stewards of what belongs to the Lord. And they are in our care for a very short time. The Lord often spoke about money and our attitude toward it. He warned us that we cannot serve God and mammon, God and money, or God and possessions, because we will love the one and hate the other, or hate the one and love the other, but we can make what he gives us, the possessions that we have, the money that we have, we can make it um, work for us, make friends of unrighteous mammon, if we use these things for the Lord's sake, for the gospel's sake, and for those in need. And when we do that, the Lord rewards us with more. If we're faithful in handling what he's already given us, he'll give us more. Not so that we'll be even richer and have even more, but because he trusts us to use what he gives us uh, for that purpose. I read this weekend, uh, several years ago, maybe 10 years ago, I had heard that it takes the average American nine and a half hours to complete their income tax. More recent data shows that uh, it takes the average American 11 hours to complete their income tax forms. It takes me way longer than 11 hours. I have so many forms to fill out and, and uh, I, I put aside about a week because I've got to gather all the paperwork, go through it all again. Even with computer programs, it takes me a long time. The point uh, or either that or I'm just complicated, one or the other. You know. The point is that most people take more than a full day every single year thinking through their obligations to Uncle Sam. How much time do I spend thinking through my obligations to the Lord? Since I'm a steward or a manager of God's resources that, that God has given to me, I want to be found faithful in giving to the Lord what is rightfully his. We referred to the poor widow a few minutes ago. I'm going to read the story again about how she viewed her finances. Luke 21, 1 through 4 says this, And Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. That's equivalent to roughly two or three dollars in today's currency. So he said, truly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. And everybody else who put in money to the treasury that day, that widow who put in two or three dollars put in more than all of them. You say, well, man, they must have been really cheap then. Well, he's not talking about dollars and cents. Percentage-wise, she put in everything she had. For all these out of the abundance have put in offerings for God. But she, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood that she had. She gave all that she had. As I mentioned earlier, the prophet Malachi asked the probing question of the nation of Israel, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? 
In tithes and offerings, God says, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this. He's really saying, prove me now in this. Let me show you how it's supposed to work. Go ahead, bring the tithes, and prove me now, and this says the Lord, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. God is not stingy. God is wanting to be generous here in this passage. And he's saying, just you do what you're supposed to do in giving to God that which belongs to God, and you watch. I will open the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing you can't even contain it. There are stories in the Bible of people who gave willingly, generously, sacrificially as an act of worship. David said, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which cost me nothing. Do you remember the Jews um, during the construction of the tabernacle? It was said of them, the people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord has commanded us to do. Moses actually had to restrain the people from uh, bringing any more. He said, indeed, it's too much, for the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done, indeed, uh, too much. Nehemiah, in the reconstruction of the walls of Jerusalem, he was the governor for 12 years, but former governors had demanded their rightful salary for serving that way, and Nehemiah said, no, I won't take it. I, don't, I will not take what is rightfully mine, uh, but instead gave out of his own resources to supply the needs of others. And he says this, yet in spite of this, I did not demand the governor's provisions because the bondage was heavy on this people. And then he also reestablished the portion of tithes that belonged to the Levites. I think of that woman often who uh, gave, who worshiped the Lord. She brought to him an alabaster flask filled with precious ointment. It's, it's beautiful the way the scripture describes that. And um, a very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. That was her whole fortune in that bottle, and she gave it all uh, to the Lord. The widow we talked about who gave two mites, and the Lord praised her uh, for what she did. He didn't rebuke her for doing that. The churches of Macedonia, Paul writes and says, even though they were suffering uh, trials and they were in deep poverty, they gave according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to others by the will of God. The church at Philippi, uh, Paul writes to them a thank you. In fact, the, the, book of Philipp, the letter to the Philippians is a thank you letter to the church at uh, Philippi because they often gave to Paul for the necessities of living when other churches didn't. They just ignored Paul or just forgot about him, but the church at Philippi kept giving. They gave again and again, and Paul describes God's view of their gift. He said, it is a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And then after saying that, he encourages them and says, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Don't think God has forgotten what you do for him. If you give to him, he's going to remember that. He's going to care for you. He's going to provide for you. And then, of course, we can't forget 
the greatest sacrifice of all, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave everything for you and for me by dying on the cross for our sins. What can we say about God who did not spare his own son, but freely gave, or gave him uh, for us all, delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? He, he not only gave his son, he's saying, if I've given you the best, do you think I'm going to withhold, you know, stuff that I pave heaven's roads with? On the first day of the week, we're told, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. We're not told how much to give, but we're instructed to give regularly the first day of the week, to give uh, that none is excluded. Let each one of you systematically lay something aside and proportionately as God has proper, prospered us. Finally, give praise and worship to the Lord. And that, that should go without saying for what he's done uh, for us. But one verse in Hebrews 13, 15 sums it up. It says, therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. At the end of each month, I am required to reconcile my financial books and issue a check to the uh, county of Alameda for hotel taxes. It's a requirement every single month. At the end of each quarter, unlike most of you who have jobs, your, your IRS and California state taxes are just taken out of your paychecks. I, I'm not that fortunate. I have to, as self-employed, I have to actually do this on a quarterly basis, and I have to reconcile my books every quarter, figure out what my earnings are, and submit a check to the IRS for what are called estimated quarterly income tax. In doing this, um, I am rendering to Washington the things that are Washington's. Luke, could you put up the U.S. quarter for me? Whose image and inscription is that? Washington, yeah. And we send, we don't literally send our money to Washington, but we send it to the, to the nearest tax office for Washington, right? And it's not him, but it's just, you know, the state capital, I mean the country capital. Render to Washington the things that are Washington's. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, same thing. Can you do me a favor? Can all of you take out your cell phones? And most of you, if you turn them on and swipe, your phone is live. And there's probably an icon somewhere on your phone that is a camera. Could you just press that button for me? And if you press that button, if, you, if your phone is like mine, it's, I'm seeing you. Swipe the screen. I think that's probably how most of your screens work. Swipe the screen and it becomes a selfie, right? Okay? And so just look at that picture for just a moment. Now, at the bottom, if your phone is like mine, it has a little, you know, button. Just press that button for me. Okay? And you've just taken a picture of yourself. Save that picture. Okay? 
You may not like the way it looks. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Okay? Just save that picture. Whose image did you see in that picture? You say, well, I saw myself. And you were made in the image and likeness of God. That's what Genesis tells us. Render to Washington the things that are Washington's. See if I can do it. And render to God the things that are God's. It's a bad picture. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your great love for us and we uh, recognize that everything we have and everything that we are belong to you. And we just come before you and we are so grateful, Lord, for the things that you entrust to our care, to our management, to our stewardship. And we pray that we would be faithful stewards in all of these things. We want to give to you, Lord, our bodies, our lives, our gifts, our spiritual gifts, our resources, and our praise. And Lord, this morning we just praise you for what you have done for us. Lord, help us to uh, recall this over and over again throughout the week, that everything that we have and everything that we do uh, is for you, and that we might bring glory and honor uh, to your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Save that picture. Post it on your fridge. Post it on your bathroom mirror that you might remember to render to God the things that are God's.